0: A funny thing happened at the Bank of America in Corpus Christi, Texas a few years back when a man was contracted to make repairs on the ATM machine. Now, he went and he opened the machine up and he went behind the machine and he started fixing it when they don't even know how it happened, but somehow the door to the ATM machine shut and locked behind the man. So now he's repairing the ATM, but he's trapped in the ATM. And he knows all this time that his, his, phone, his phone is safely locked in the cab of his truck down the street. So he's trapped in the ATM. Now, he tries everything he can to get out of the ATM, and he cannot. He even tries to activate the speaker so that he can talk to you from behind the ATM. He scrounges around until he can find something to help him out. And the only thing he finds that he has on him is a pen and a piece of paper. So he decides to go old school. Now, when you're behind the ATM and locked in it, there's only one spot that you could possibly get any notices out, any messages out, and that is through the receipt slot. (laughs) So he decides to write notes and send them through the receipt. So if you happen to be one of those people that says, print me a receipt, instead of a receipt, you've got a help me note. (laughs) Okay, now here is one of his actual notes that he wrote. Please help. I am stuck in here. I don't have my phone. Please call my boss. And then he proceeded to write out his boss's number, which frankly I'm impressed with right there. How many of you know your boss's number? let alone your work number or your best friend's number? You don't know any of them, right? Well, people started getting these help me notes. And of course, what would you think if you got a help me note? you think it was a joke, right? Yeah, it, it's a prank. Uh, someone's punking me. There's a hidden camera. I'm going to be on reality TV. Someone's going to pop out, and they're going to laugh at me because I took it seriously, right? Well, most people, most people got their little note, took their money, and left. Until one person took the trouble to actually look at the note and think, what what if this is true? (laughs) What if there is someone trapped? And so he called the police. He didn't call the boss. I guess they didn't trust, you know, who's this other stranger going to be walking up to me? Called the police to investigate. And when the police came to investigate, they walked up to the ATM machine and stuck their ear there. And they could hear this distant voice, help me, help me. (laughs) I'm trapped in the ATM. Well, they busted him out, right? They probably had to break the thing a little bit to get him out. But he was rescued, right? Now, this all came to pass because someone cared enough to think about the guy trapped in the ATM. Someone bothered to actually see if there was a true need involved there. Someone wasn't just, oh, man, going to ignore it or not be bothered by it they decided to actually find out if there was someone who needed their help. That's why we're here doing this message right now. Because frankly, there are women in this room trapped in the ATM. There are women in a pickle and they need you to help them get back on the path. Back on the path to Christ. To a place of safety, to a place of obedience, and they need you. And then of course, there are also hundreds of lesser needs where we're not you know in a dire situation trapped in the ATM, but there's lots of lesser needs for your love and your concern. And that's what today's message is going to be all about. We want to be people who truly love, who see the help me note and do something with it. Because of course, we in the story of the ATM man, we want to be the one who paid attention. We don't want to be the one who ignored them and who blew them off, right? We want to be the ones who truly love and see a need and go out of our way to be like Jesus would be to those who are saying, help me, help me, to those around them. And really, we also want to come out of a message like this, doing this voluntarily. I mean, do you want to be the person who the Holy Spirit's got like this? Let me make you do this. No, we want to do it gladly. And I hope that this message will take you one or two steps down the road of being that kind of helper, gladly and joyfully, like your Savior was. We want to be people who actually get that help me note and do something with it. Now, we've learned lots of things about the fruits of the Spirit last night. One of the most important is that we can do this. Because the Holy Spirit is with us, we can do all nine of them. There's not one on the list, even if you think it's so difficult for you. There's not one that you can't do. Because God's going to enable you to do it. And he's going to prompt you to do it. And he's going to set you up to do it. In fact, in um, Ezekiel 36, he promises he's going to give us a new heart. He's going to take our heart of stone, and he's going to give us a heart of flesh. And he's going to give us his Holy Spirit to help us to do the things that he commands. That's what he promises. So that means... You should know as we start this weekend and the love, joy, and the peace part, you can do this, every single one of them, okay? We also learn that fruit is expected of every follower of Christ, and in fact, every fruit is expected of every follower of Christ. You don't get to just pick the one or two that you happen to like or you happen to already be good at. You have to do them all which frankly is one of the reasons why we're going to do these slowly over three retreats. You laugh, but had we not done that, we would be fire hosing you with all nine. I would have three to cover right now. And frankly, I had the outlines ready when Pastor Mike pulled the plug and said, what are you thinking, Harlan? I'm like, this is what you guys told me to do, right? So he pulled the plug and for very good reason, because we need to have time to think to let these truths marinate, and to actually do them so we can make progress in all nine. You only got three this weekend. You can make progress in three. You can leave a retreat like this, and you can do one thing in each of the three and make progress in your walk with Christ and in your help for other people. So that's why we're slowing down. We want us all to be poised to have baskets and baskets full of excellent fruit pouring out of your life because we slowed down, and we looked at them one at a time. And we looked at our hearts, right? And we said, what can I do to do better here? Now, of course, today's is love, right? And I'm just going to warn you flat out. I mean, I'm only covering one, and you're still going to be riding fast. So okay, you'd have been really mad at me had I been doing three. I literally had five points for each one. That's 15 times three messages. So you're glad we're slowing down. Okay, love. Agape love is the unconditional. I'm in it for the long haul. Committed love that loves no matter what. I'll say it again. Agape is that unconditional. I'm in it for the long haul. Committed love that loves no matter what. Now, love happens to be particularly important. It's actually more important than all the rest, because frankly, you couldn't do the all, rest, all the rest if you didn't have love. Love is the foundational fruit that everything else comes from. Let's think about it. Would you ever have patience or a long fuse with your sisters if you didn't love them? No, you wouldn't. You also wouldn't be, um, as far as it depends on you, pursuing peace with your sisters if you didn't love. And you certainly wouldn't be controlling your words and your actions if you didn't love that person who was sitting across from you. Love is foundational. It's where everything else comes from. Now, we're going to look at one main passage for each point. But I am going to warn you, they gave me love and said, use the whole Bible. So, we're going to use the whole Bible, right? So make sure you have your Bibles and not just your workbooks. We're going to start at uh, John 13. Now, John 13, uh, John is the New Testament writer who talks the most about love. In fact, he was known as the disciple who Jesus loved, right? And in John 13, 34 and 35, he says this, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. By this All people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. John's message is clear. You have to love people. And hidden within this passage is our motivation to love. He says uh, the reason that we're capable of loving others is found at the end of 34. It says we love people just as I have loved you. You see, we're able to love, and a lot of our worship songs were about this. We're able to love because he loved us first. Now, we say it all the time. We sang it this morning, but think about that. God, the God of the universe, loved you first. He reached out among all the people in all the world, and he chose to love you and you and you and you and you, right? This is amazing. We need to like, think about it for just a moment. And frankly, he loved us when we had our hand up in his face, when we said, I can do life my way, I've got my thing going, and I'm just fine. Whether you did that till you were 16, or 32, or 56, or 75, whenever God grabbed your heart and saved you, you were doing that the whole rest of the time. You were his enemy when he reached out and loved you. It's amazing. We can seek to love others, but we need to have behind it the motivation and the remembrance that we do this because he loved us first. And that's gonna get us to our first point. Before we can even jump into loving others, we've got to point number one, be amazed at Christ-like love. Be amazed at Christ-like love. He loved you first. Now, it makes me think of one of my all-time favorite passages, and it's the first that we're going to turn to, but it's in Deuteronomy. If you can't get there, that's okay. But it's one of my all-time verses because it's like one of those big warm blankets. It's Deuteronomy 7. Verse 7 to 9, Moses is out in the wilderness with the children of Israel, and he says this to them. It's not because you're more in number than any other people, that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all people. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. Verse 9 says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant or his promises and gives steadfast love to those who love him and keep his commandments. It says that God favored the Israelites, and he favors us, and he loves us just because he loves us. It wasn't because we were special. It wasn't because we were bigger or better or more powerful or we could do more for him. He just loves us because he chose to love us. Dude, that is amazing (laughs) that he would choose to love us when we're nothing special, just like Israel was nothing special. They're special, and we're special because he chose us, not the other way around. That's why we're special. So think about it just for a moment and be awestruck that the God of the universe would love you like that. Not your next door neighbor, maybe not your sister, maybe not your parent, but he would love you to that extent and pick you out of the crowd. That is what should fuel your love for other people because he chose you. Now, John says, back in our passage in John 13, that it's a new commandment. Now, it isn't a completely, utterly new commandment because there is part of this in the Old Testament. But he's trying to say, like lots of things between the Old and New Testament, or the Old and New Covenant, or the Old and New Promise that God made, that there's a little tweak in the New Testament. And the tweak here is, you'll see in just a second, the Old Testament says in places like Leviticus 19, 18, that we should love others as we love ourselves. Right? That was the pattern in the Old Testament. Love others like you love yourself. It was a good standard until Jesus walked the planet. I mean, it, it was good because we could grab, we, we knew how we wanted to be loved, right? We, we could see that, we could understand it, we could grasp it, but it only goes so far because it's based on human love, imperfect human love, by the way. And so now when Jesus walked the planet Our love became a new kind of love. It's a new commandment because we're supposed to love like he loved us. And by the way, this is a commandment, not a suggestion, right? It's a rule. It's expected. It's an order, so to speak. We must love our sisters like he loved us or to the extent that he loved us, the way he loved us, as long as he loved us, right? That's what we are being looking for here. This is doing something for another's good on steroids, right? The way Jesus loved us. Now, how did he love us, though? I guess that's the thing we have to just contemplate for a minute. How did he love us? We could sit here and think of a lot of different things, and I bet you could. You're skimming through your life. You're skimming through the Bible. There's lots of ways. Here's some things I thought of quickly. One of the ways that he loved us is not snuffing us out when we sinned. He didn't just go, zap, bug light, you're done. You've sinned. You're out of here. No, he didn't do that. He came up with a plan to save us from the very beginning when Adam and Eve rebelled. That's another way he loved us. He, of course, left heaven to live here with us, right? And willingly lived here, but also died here. He put up with things like colds, the stomach flu, sunburns, heartaches, sore muscles, because he loved us. He came and was a human. He also did it by giving us... I don't know why he loved us so much, but he gave us the immense privilege of living on this planet after Jesus lived on this planet. Do you know how many people longed for that through history? Pastor Mike likes to say that before the cross, our forgiveness was more like a credit card. People of God were waiting for the day when the payment would be made. They were longing for the day the Messiah would come and pay for their sin. But that after, we have the great privilege of actually having a debit card, And when we sin, that card is slid, and that payment is already in the account. It's already been paid for by Jesus. We get this wonderful assurance that people through history did not experience in the same way that we get. And our payment immediately says, paid in full. Not someday I'll pay it in full, but it is. Wow, those are some amazing things. And then, of course, that means that the most important thing Jesus did for us was climb up on that cross and take God's wrath for us. But think about what he's done for you as a Christian on the other side now. He's given you his word on paper in black and white, your own copy. He's given you his people right here. He's given you the, the, the church, the big universal church of all the people through history that know and love God. And he's given you a promise of a new and perfect place you're gonna live. If you never got anything else, look at all he did to show you that he loves you. And you have so much more than that. I don't care if your life is terrible, in your opinion. You have so much more than that. So, He has loved us in so many ways. We're supposed to love others like He loved us, and that's just a sprinkling of it. So, be amazed for a minute when you think about the way God loved you. Now, we're supposed to be showing evidence. That's what the fruit of the Spirit is all about. He loved us. We're different. We're new. Now, we're supposed to show evidence of that. Well, the first one is by loving others like He loved us. And frankly, We're doing this, and we're doing it, and it's going to be work. I'm just going to be honest with you. The fruit of the Spirit is still going to be work on your part. Just because the Holy Spirit is inside you doesn't mean you just get to coast. You actually have to work at this, not to get saved, but because you are saved. That's why you're showing this evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life, not to get saved, but because you are saved. That's going to motivate us to love just like he loved us. Now, John's going to increase the motivation for us to love others like this because in verse 35, he says that our love proves the validity of relationship with God. To a watching world, they're looking at us, and they can tell if we're Christians by how we love each other. It's a proof of our salvation, ladies. He makes it very clear here and in other places that if you don't love, you're not his kid. If you don't love, you're missing something. And we would love to help you fix that this weekend if you figure that out. But you're not his because your love for others is your litmus test of your faith. It shows whether you're his or not. To the outside world, that's the the way they know. And uh, we can understand how there might be confusion for a non-Christian in particular if you say you're a Christian but you don't love. Now, there was once a guy who had a need, and his need was to get his suit dry cleaned. He was, he was going on a trip, and he needed to get it done right away. And he remembered that on his way to work, that there was a store front with a sign in the window that said, one hour dry cleaning. So he thought, OK, it's across town. But I mean, I'm leaving on this business trip. I've got to get my suit done. Now. I'm going to have to take the trip and go to the one hour dry cleaning. Well, when he got there and they you know, wrote up his ticket and everything, he said, hey, uh, by the way, I need it in an hour. To which the lady said, oh, no, I can't get it to you till Thursday. And he said, wait a minute. It it says right here you do one-hour dry cleaning. She says, oh, no, that's just the name of the store. (laughs) Ladies, don't ever let that be true of you. You walk around with the name Christian. You better be one. You better act like one. People around you should know that you are one, not in name only, but you truly are one, and they can tell. I mean, how many times, how many times have you uh, shared the gospel with someone, and what did they say to you? I'm not gonna become a Christian, because all Christians are, you know what, a lot of times they're absolutely right. Change their perception of Christians. Please don't be a Christian in name only, because Christians love one another just as Christ loved you. Okay. Well, we can nurture this amazement in a lot of ways. And for this one, I just have three quick ones for you. One is you need to thank him. Thank him every time you pray. I don't care if it's for your food, if it's in your quiet time. Thank him for loving you. Just thank him for loving you more often. Okay? Another one is worship. You have the opportunity, and the worship team very carefully chose these songs to fit the themes of what we're teaching. And this morning, you got the chance to take those words and pray them back to God in thanksgiving to Him, all about how He loved you. Every song was about love and how He loves you and His blood was shed for you. So, in worship, Take the songs and don't be thinking about, I got to text that girl or my stomach hurts, I should have eaten more. Maybe I'm getting the stomach flu or, you know, what you have to do afterwards or, oh, no, I hope my kid got his, you know, baseball practice on time. Put all that away. Take the songs that they put up there so carefully for you and take those words and sing them to God. I don't care what anybody else is doing around you. You take them and sing them to God. And the third one is just share God's love with everyone. (laughs) Everyone. Be a good representative of God's love. I don't care if it's Christian or non-Christian. Share God's love with everyone you pass, the joy of God's love. All those things are going to help you remember to be a little more amazed that God loved you first, and they're going to springboard you to love others like he loved you. Now, John 13 was very clear, all about loving others. But there's more. Um, in 1 John, which is where I'm going to take you next, we're going to find out how to do this. You know, so far we got we need to do this. Now we're going to do how to do this. In 1 John 3, so we're going to go next, 1 John 3, and we're going to pick up this theme of God loving us first, but we're going to take it farther, okay? And I'm actually going to have you start in verse 16. My bad, Uh, if you're looking at the program. Verse 16 is where we're going to start. It says, 1 John 3 16 to 18. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Okay, John starts again with God loving us, and he repeats that we should love others. But then he pushes on with the practical and basically putting feet to our love, what we've got to do now. The first way to love is going to be to love like Jesus loved us. What did he do? It says here he willingly laid down his life for us. From that, we're going to learn point number two, that we need to risk to love sacrificially. Risk to love sacrificially risk to love sacrificially. He gave up everything for us, right? He sacrificed. It cost him. We're going to have to love sacrificially as well. We're going to have to give up our comfort, our rights, our schedules, our money, yes, even our sleep at times to love others. It's going to involve a cost, a price tag to love like he loved. Verse 16 said that we should be ready to lay down our lives Now, we may not have to actually die, although who knows, it may come to that, maybe even in our lifetime. Um, But we are, even if we don't have to die physically, we need to deliberately and intentionally give up things in our lives for the sake of someone else, our brother and sister in Christ. Jesus gave up his whole life. Surely we can give up these lesser tiny things to love other people. Now, 1 John 3 repeats the concept that a Christian is basically duty-bound to love like this because in verse 16, he said, by this we know love that he laid down his life for us. We ought to. We're duty-bound. This is responsibility. This is something a Christian should do, has to do, okay? We see again, love is the litmus test for our faith. Our Christianity hangs on the fact if we're loving people, if we're ignoring people or indifferent to them, it's a sure sign that we don't know God. Whoa. In your quiet time questions, which is going to come right after this, you're going to have time to think about and evaluate your love for others. I, I ask you to do that with an open heart. If you don't really love people who live outside the door of your home, because it's way easier. I know you think it's harder, but it's way easier to love the people inside your home. If you don't love the people outside of your home, you're a Christian who's really blowing it, and God's about to take the hammer of discipline to your life, especially after a weekend like this, or you're not his at all. It's one or the other, we have to ask ourselves the question of if we love others. And we have to think about if our fruit is real or if it's of that plastic variety, you know, like your great grandma used to have on our kitchen table? I'm not sure what that. It only looks good for a little while till it gets all dusty and gross. But um, is your fruit plastic or is your fruit real? To help us think about where we're at in loving others, I'd like you to turn to Matthew 25. Matthew 25, it's a parable of Jesus. He's talking about the day that he's going to sit on his throne, and he's going to judge people. And he's actually going to judge people on how they loved others. That's what this whole one is about, Matthew 25. Starting in verse 34, The king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father and inherit the kingdom, prepared for you from the foundation of the world. How come you're going to get this kingdom? How come you're going to do this, get this great place to live? Because when I was hungry, you gave me food. and I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer, and they'll say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you drink, and when did we see you a stranger and welcome you? Or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And then when we hear the needs of our sisters and we drop everything to serve them, comfort them, be next to them, pray for them, we are loving him. While we love them, we're loving him. That's what he says. But then verse 31, he goes on to say, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And he goes on to explain that they saw their sisters hungry, thirsty, without friends, naked, sick, in prison, and they did nothing. And Jesus' punchline over this whole thing is, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. King's not pleased. He's not pleased with these people so much so that he says they're not his. (sighs) Yikes. That's hard. What are you doing, Carlin? Yeah, well, before we get started, we have to think about this. I don't want you to leave and be plastic. (laughs) I don't want you to be like the one hour dry cleaner. I want you to be real. I want you to be a real Christian. I want you to make sure that you've received the love that he has for you. And any of us will talk to you about it. Find someone you know loves God first and ask them, how do I get that? Stephanie talked all about it last night. All right, but it's important to be sure. And in your quiet time questions, I hope you'll take some time to be sure because this is the most important thing. Well, back in 1 John 3, 16, where we were, it says that um, we're supposed to lay down our life for your brothers. Then in verse 17, it says, When you see a brother in need. And he switches from singular or from plural to singular. And you might not have noticed that, but it's actually a very good strategic thing to do. Because I know, I mean, you can look across this room right now, take a gander, just look across the room, and you can easily go, I love you all, right? You're looking, it's this all retreat, everything's awesome, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love everybody. Okay, <laughs> but when it's Tuesday morning, or it's Thursday night, and that girl has a need right there, and you hear about it, you have a decision to make. Will you meet that need? Or you pre- pretend you didn't hear about it? Or pray that someone else will do it? Maybe, I, I mean, it went out to the whole small group. <laughs> right? It's so, not me, right? It went out to everybody. I, I did it last time, right? I have an early morning. I have kids at home, whatever your excuse is, right? It's easy to love the masses. It's harder to love the one who you know has a need right in front of you. Hmm. It's harder to say to Jessica, who I happened to see this week and has had a cough co- for 28 days. Jessica needs someone to make her a meal. Ease her burden. How about Dory? Needs to write a Bible study. Who, who's gonna say, I'll do that every week? Because that's what it is to love people. How about Chelsea just had a baby? I could take her kids for the afternoon and let her nap when the baby naps, which they tell you to do when you have a newborn, right? Except when you have other, three others. Um, see, that's taking care of a need. That's loving someone and not just saying, I love everybody, but I will love that person and I'll do what it costs to love them. Yeah, there are lots of people in our church who need things and they need you to love them. Verse 17 in our passage says, don't close your heart. It's the image of shutting a door or a gate so it cannot be opened. Kind of like the ATM guy, frankly. Shutting the door, okay? That is willfully ignoring a sister's need. Ugh. And then he says, uh, don't close your heart, which means have no sympathy or pity for the fellow Christian. Do you know how many women in our church suffer with health problems and are completely isolated and are at home? They just need you to show up. You don't need to do much of anything except sit and visit with them. Just drive your little car over there and sit with them and talk. They just need you to be a friend. How about a person who's in a terrible marriage that just needs your encouragement? You have a good marriage. Okay, it may not be a great marriage, but you have a good marriage. Can you help someone who doesn't? Absolutely, right? Not just, you know, uh, saying on Women's Bible Study Day, I'll pray for you this week, but actually being there for her. How about someone in financial difficulty? It's really hard out there, isn't it? Maybe you're not in that situation, or you have a little extra that you could give them for groceries, a Costco card, a gas card. Could you give them a little bit more? You could. I know you could. How about a single gal who longs to be married? Could you let her talk? Just give her heart? let Just let it out to you occasionally? Because it's hard. She wants a baby. She wants a husband. She doesn't have the opportunities that you have. Yeah, all these things are ways that our hearts can break and have pity and empathy for those that have needs and are hurting in our congregation. John is urging us to have Hearts that ache for people because they're hurting, we're hurting. It reminds me of something that happened to the Wheaton College basketball team. They traveled over to Malawi because they were going to play the African Bible college team in Malawi. And before they went, they got a little bit of education about this uh, part of the world. And they were told that um, one of the things that that Malawians don't have a lot of times is shoes and uh, they were in the capital city that one day, and they noticed all these men walking around the capital city in Malawi without shoes on. Now, those Malawian men were ashamed by that, but there wasn't much they could do, so they just had to go about their business, walking on the street to their professional appointments with no shoes on their feet. Well, when the Wheaton College basketball team got to the court. They saw the Malawan team out there on the court scrimmaging. They saw two guys scrimmaging, just you know, practicing, doing drills, whatever. And they noticed right away that one guy had one shoe and one guy had one shoe. And um, they started laughing, snickering, pointing. And they finally you know, asked one of the coaches, what's up with the guy with one shoe and the other guy with one shoe? You know, one shoe on and one shoe off. And the coach said, well, you see, one of them today showed up with no shoes. And his friend didn't want him to be embarrassed. So he gave him one of his so they could both have one at least. You see, that guy, his heart broke for his friend. And so he gave up what he had to share with his friend. And that was when the laughter and the snickering stopped. That's the kind of heart we need to have for each other. When we notice someone and we see they might be embarrassed or they're having a hard time, then we step in and we do something for them because we actually care. Now, praise the Lord, I I, I love being a pastor's wife. Yeah, okay, it's got a million price tags, but it also has far more blessings if you look for them. Because I get a front row seat to seeing you all love each other. I mean, frankly, I get... Yes, bad news, but I also get good news, probably a lot more than the average person. I get to find out that you showed up at the hospital when somebody's loved one is having surgery and you sat with that girl. I also get to hear that you dropped groceries on her front porch. I get to find out about the home repairs you did and the car wash and the way you babysat or the way you paid for them to have a date night. I get to see the ways that you love people, sometimes with your presence, sometimes with your bank account. I get a front row seat to that and I'm very grateful I'm very grateful. I even get to see you do things like fill in all the kidsmen posts that were announced this year. Sometimes it's personal stuff, and sometimes it's church needs that we have for loving people. And it was announced multiple times that we needed people to come and do kidsmen, and I saw many of you in this room who already serve in multiple places take one of these kidsmen spots so that the NAVMO people who want to come and hear the gospel have a place to put their kids because you loved them because Jesus loved you first. And it costs you every Thursday morning, but you do it. I get to see things like that. And I know I'm going to have the same thing because there's a big need right now. Our college ministry. You know, Pastor PG and Pastor Rod, they're so awesome. And they've basically recruited almost their whole team to go and reach Prosper and McKinney and Frisco for Jesus Christ. Awesome. But guess what? The college bridge ministry needs people who love those students and will mentor them at a key time in their life and will give their life to go and spend time helping someone else grow closer to Jesus and follow after him. And I know I'm going to see that need met by women like you because you love Jesus and you're going to love people like Jesus loved you. So I get to see those great answers to prayer in ways that you love people. And I hope that one of the most important things you do at retreat is that you pick something, one thing, from each of the three. Just one thing you'll do with love, one thing you'll do with joy, one thing you'll do with peace, and you'll take home with you because it's very important. But the very first thing you have to do is the question of your salvation, right? If this is the proof of our salvation, we all gotta make sure, even if you think you're so sure, do you have any fruit on the branches of your life? If I look at your life, is there any fruit at all? We have to be looking for fruit. Now, I know some fruits are easier than others. Um, some fruits are tough. Maybe for you, loving others is a piece of cake. You'll give the shirt off your back. You have no problem. Okay, well, hopefully you're wearing cami. But, you know, you're, you're ready <laughs> to do anything. But for others in this room, loving someone is really hard. I mean, just adding one more thing to their Google calendar, they're just feel like uh, you're just throwing me overboard, you know. Having uh, something go on, my Apple Pay is just gonna take me out. Okay, love is hard for some people, but you're gonna find that there's fruits here. Some are easier, some are harder. We gotta make progress in all of them, whether it's hard or easy. You gotta start somewhere, right? Gotta start somewhere. Now. Christians should have a variety of fruit, frankly. We have nine fruits we're going to be studying, which means you should have all kinds of different fruits, not just love. You're actually supposed to have all nine. And uh, I know that's weird. How are you going to be a fruit tree with all nine? But Revelation 22, too, should give you some encouragement because it says the tree of life is going to show up in the New Jerusalem, and it's going to have 12 different kinds of fruit each in its season. I'm like, whoa, how's that going to happen? I don't know. But Jesus made a withered hand whole, right? He raised people from the dead. I'm sure he's going to be able to handle 12 fruits on the same tree. And we just have to do nine. So we're going to try to get it all across our lives. Um, I know it's hard, but I also know that you can do it. And I have a couple suggestions for you for this one, to sacrifice in love. First of all, you just need to pray. In your quiet time, I'm I'm, I'm just, as you leave your quiet time, you're done. You've done all that you're going to do. Just ask God to show you someone. Show me someone, God, that I can love today for you. That's it. God is not going to leave that prayer unanswered. I promise you he's going to probably bring you many people. But if you just ask him to show you someone that you can love this week. This week, this day, because I want you to say it every day, right? So ask him, show me someone that I can be a blessing to today. The next step is to listen. We need to listen better than we listen. If you listen well, you you know what you're going to find? You're going to find that there are needs everywhere. (laughs) I mean, you're going to actually be inundated with needs if you just start listening. There's going to be needs at Women's Bible Study Small Group. There's going to be needs when you drop your kids off at Kidsmen. There are needs in this room right now. And frankly, there's people here that, um, just to be honest, there's people here that this is their first retreat. They don't know anybody. And you know that. You're sitting at the table with them right now because you introduced yourself. How about you love them by inviting them to lunch with you or dinner with you? That's a need that they have because they're going to be eating alone if someone doesn't invite them. It's so easy. You've already listened. You know she's new to retreat, right? Now you just need to, the next one is act. <laughs> we said pray, listen, act. Pray, listen, act. Act. There's a need. Someone doesn't have anybody to go to lunch with. Or dinner. After you have all this free time, then there's, what do we do for dinner, right? There's a group going to that one restaurant. Great. But, but maybe you're going with people, you got someone at your table, include them. They need a friend at retreat. Pray, listen, act. Pretty easy. Now, um, for each of the fruits that I'm teaching, I'm going to give you one Bible character that did this well. Because I think, I, I mean, I, just, I love the Old Testament, so it's going to give me a chance to do some Old Testament, although this one is New Testament, sorry. But I'm going to have you turn to Luke 10, because I want to show you one example where this person really loved well. And in this case, it happens to be a parable, but um, it's such a good one. We have to go there. Luke 10, someone came up to Jesus and asked him, you know, how do I get right with God? And we know that happens a few times in his ministry. And at this point, Jesus turns to him and he says, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. That's what he says in Luke 10. And sadly, the, mom, the man is not there because he has good motives. He's there to test Jesus. He's there to justify himself. So he makes this snarky comeback to the love your neighbor as yourself. He says, well, who is my neighbor? He's trying to pass the buck, like, I don't know. I, well, I just don't know who I, who am I supposed to love, right? He's being a little snarky. And so then Jesus decides to tell the story in verse 30. It's a powerful story. You've read it before, but think about it in real life. Okay? Think about it in your life. He says, a man is going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, which is 17 miles, not very far. It's like you walking from Eliso Viejo from the church to South Coast Plaza. I checked it. That's 17 miles. I was like looking for landmarks. What is that? At 17 miles, except I will tell you that the road from Jerusalem to Jericho is like traversing the Grand Canyon. If you've been around for a while, I actually showed you pictures of this road once. But it's really steep, and cliffs, and rocky, and little tiny paths. And you could see why it would be a place where bandits would like to jump people. It's j- dangerous anyway, because it's these big cliffs. But it's even worse because there's robbers out there that are trying to take people's stuff. So by the way, to walk from Elisa Viejo to South Coast Plaza would take you five and a half hours. And that's on our well-paved. Roads, no treacherous cliffs, no rocks falling down, no steep hills to climb. Okay, this was much worse. It probably took him a lot longer than that. And he gets jumped, right? That's what we know is going to happen. Okay, you're going from Jerusalem to to Jericho. Um, A man going down fell among the robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed. Think of this in real life as you're walking to South Coast Plaza. They let they left him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest. Okay, this is like a pastor. That's the job the priest had. He was a pastor in their Jewish church. (laughs) Okay, by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. (sighs) I mean, we laugh, but how many times have we seen someone in need and passed by the other side? 32, so likewise a Levite. Okay, this guy's a ministry leader, small group leader, a wanna worker, partners, guide, right? This That's what the Levite was, served in the church. That covers a lot of people in this room. And this man, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. These are two supposedly godly men of Israel. Saw the condition of this man walking into South Coast Plaza and closed their heart to him. They became indifferent to his need. Verse 33, but a Samaritan, okay, I don't know, biker gang, I don't know, enemy, enemy of this man, as he journeyed, he came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, he bound up his wounds, which means he had to touch him, ladies. We are so scared to hug each other, he touched the man who was bloody, that means he wiped the blood from this man. He bandaged him up and he fed him. It says that he bound up his wounds, he poured oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal. He brought him to the inn and he took care of him. Think of this in real life. He gave up his ride. he even been roomed with a guy. Probably gave him his bed, if not shared a bed like you are, with a stranger who's bloody and broken. And the next day he took out two denarii and he gave him to the innkeeper, and he said, take care of him. Whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back. This man, he went the extra mile, he stayed the extra hour, and he even paid the extra dollar, right, as we say at our church. He paid for his whole stay. Verse 36, he says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. I love Jesus' punchline, just go and do likewise. So that's what I'm going to say to you. If we're going to risk to love people sacrificially, you just need to go and do likewise. That's it. Now, it's great, but how do we do this in everyday life? I mean, I live in the real world. I'm not going to find somebody on the side of the freeway walking to South Coast Plaza. So how am I actually going to do this? You know the logical place you're going to go when you talk about love, right? 1 Corinthians 13. I'm going to take you there right now. We're going to spend the rest of our time there. 1 Corinthians 13. Now, we're going to skim over this, and we're going to end up coming up with 13 ways to show love. And I didn't give you a chart, so you're just going to have to write small. (laughs) But you got a whole page. They did a good job. Whoever did the program, thank you very much for giving them a whole page for this section. Um, But I want to remind you, this passage in 1 Corinthians 13 was not written to you to do this to your husband, or your children. Okay, should you not do a charism ministry? Of course not. But this was written to a church. This is written for you doing it for you, and you doing it for you, and you doing it for you, and you doing it for you. This was about us doing this for each other. That's what was intended by this passage. Never forget that. Just because you jump to apply it to junior at home. I need to not be so angry at my children. That is not the point of this passage. I mean, should you not be angry at your children? Yes, you should not be angry at your children. But that's an added application. Your first target should be the people in this room. Okay? Receiving this kind of love from you. Now, we don't have the point, Carlin. That's because we're going to wrap it up here with love like Christ today. That's our point. Love like Christ today. That's what 1 Corinthians is going to teach us. Love like Christ today. And here's ways that we can love like Christ today and, frankly, every day. we got to show love for the people in the Starbucks line and those at work and the people on the baseball field and the people at, at your cubicle and the people at church in your small group. This is to love all those people and even to love your husband on date night. This is for all people, to love all people. It says, committed love. Okay, this is committed love, agape, I'm not, out, I'm not leaving you love. It is patient. It is kind. It doesn't envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Every single one of these is a verb. That means it's an action, and it's actually in the tense where it's a continuative action. The anticipation of the apostle Paul and Jesus is that we keep doing these things over and over. He wants this to be the default of our life, and of course, we know that Jesus lived it perfectly. He constantly did this. This this describes his life, and that's great, Um, but We want to do that too, and it's not going to happen for us unless we get it in our mind and start setting down, you know, stepping stones to do it, make them patterns of our life. Okay, the first characteristic is, and there's going to be 13, I told you that, number one is patience. Patience is the word macrothumia, and it means long heat. Now, I'm actually going to give you a definition for most of them, which I will repeat twice. So, Okay, a person who is patient, I said, has a long fuse, but here's the definition. is the ability to be inconvenienced or taken advantage of over and over and not get upset. The ability to be inconvenienced or taken advantage of over and over and not get upset. In one of most Jesus' most famous stories in Matthew 18, this was the one where the servant racked up that huge debt, and he begged for patience and mercy from the king, and he was forgiven that gigantic debt. Remember that story? But then we see in the story that he turns around to his fellow servant, and he throws the guy in jail for a much smaller debt, Right? Um, The word that he uses when he begs for mercy is macrothumia. And the king shows patience for him. But he doesn't show patience for the fellow servant. It's obviously a picture of what God did for us and what we're supposed to do for each other, right? Um, And the king says to the man, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy or patience with your fellow servant as I had for you. And then Jesus adds, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you who does not forgive your brother from his heart. We have to have patience for one another. We must restrain our anger every day we live on earth. Number two, love is kind. Kind in a nutshell is to do good. I mean, that's that's it. Um, To be kind though, the definition is to actively seek another's good to contribute positively to their well-being, to actively seek another's good, to contribute positively to their well-being. Of course, Jesus is the poster child for this one, too. He, I mean, just read the gospel. Skim through them in your mind. Every single day he lived this, right? He was constantly doing good to people, whether it was grieving parents or hungry people on the hillside or his disciples who messed up or the guy with the withered hand or the person who ran out of wine. He was always doing good to people. It was his whole life, just any day. Pick any day in the Gospels and you see Jesus doing this. And you know what? God is kind every day to the evil and the good you looked out at the ocean this morning, God gave that ocean and that beautiful sunrise to you and all the non-Christians in the city we, it, because God is kind. He's kind to the evil and the good. Um, we need to start loving our sisters by being kind, being kind to them. This is not about feeling loving and generous. It's about being loving and generous. That's what kindness is. Now, um, we also find some things here that we should not do. Number three is a not do, and there's quite a few of the nots. Not envy. To envy means to desire the possessions, abilities, or successes of someone else. To desire the possessions, abilities, or successes of someone else. Now Eve started this, but Cain fell in line pretty quickly. So did Sarah with Hagar and Rachel with Leah. How about Joseph's brothers, Saul, Daniel's co-workers, even the older brother with the lost son? All of those people had envy. Envy is so bad that not only does, is it, I want what you have, but it's, I don't want you to have it. I mean, that's what envy is. Not only do I want what you have, but I don't want you to have it. It's like the stink eye, having the stink eye. Pastor Mike just finished a book, and he sent it to the editor this week that is on envy. Yes. And so when it comes out in the fall, make sure you get it, because this is that sin that you never thought you had. That's the subtitle. Yes. We need to be content. I mean, that's the way you're going to fight envy. you got, you got to be content with what God has given you, Right? Okay, 1 Corinthians then says, number four, love does not boast and is not arrogant. I'm putting them together. Does not boast and is not arrogant. That's why we're ending up with 13 instead of 15. Does not boast, is not arrogant. Huh? That means you do not elevate yourself above others. Elevate yourself above others. Because that's what it means to be boastful and arrogant, elevating your self above others. Um, Envy seeks to put people down, but boasting and arrogance, it makes you look good. You want to look good for everybody. Hmm. Now, the Corinthians had a real problem with this. They were a bunch of show-offs. They wanted the best gifts. I want to be the eye. I want to be the nose. I don't want to be the pancreas or the big toe, right? Nobody wants those gifts, but you do realize if you didn't have your big toe, you couldn't stand up. We ain't going nowhere without that big toe. We need it, right? Well, the Corinthians had a problem with this. They wanted the best gifts. They flaunted their social status at at the Lord's Supper. They were walking around about how rich they were, and they caused chaos in the worship services. They had a real problem with boasting and arrogance. C.S. Lewis said that boasting is the worst. It's the worst evil because it puts us first, and that means that everyone else, including God, is of lesser importance. Okay, this is not the way Jesus operated, of course. You know Philippians tells us that he was humble, he became a human, and he died on the cross for us, even though he was literally the king of the world when he did that. A simple way to combat this one is just to talk about yourself less. Today, take the challenge, talk about yourself less, let everybody else fill up the words. It's just one thing you can do to stop boasting and arrogance, Okay. Number five, love is not rude. Not rude. Now, um, a rude person does not care about the preferences or feelings of anyone else but themselves. A rude person does not care about the preferences or feelings of anyone but themselves. In other words, they're completely self-absorbed. Completely self-absorbed. Now, the Corinthians did this. They were filing lawsuits against each other in the church. It was ridiculous. They were also digging into the meat sacrificed to idols and not caring if it offended anybody else. Because this is, I, I mean, I could eat this. No problem. I have no problem with it. You have a problem with it? I don't care. They were rude. They were, they just were. They were not doing the right things. Um, they were crude. And do you think we have a problem in our culture with this? Ha! Social media, Twitter, ring a bell. Yeah. Um, this is definitely a quality we need to get rid of. It's not just bad. It has the potential to turn people away from Jesus Christ that might be watching us and seeing how inconsiderate we are. And then they don't want to become Christians because, wow, that girl, she's a jerk. Right? I mean, I don't want to. That's what a Christian is? Okay. Number six. Uh, Love does not insist on its own way, does not insist on its own way. These people demand and keep demanding and are self-absorbed, as I said last time. They demand and they keep demanding and are self-absorbed. They want what they want. I mean, does that not describe our whole culture? and even us. I mean, we just we fall into that pattern so quickly and you say, Okay, well maybe you don't, but I do. I want what I want. I'm I mean, if I don't try at all, that's what happens. I just want what I want. I just you got it, I want it. So, how can I get it? I don't think I would really take it from you, but I would figure out a way to get something because I want what I want. Yeah. Being a wife, this is a tough one. Wanting what you want when you don't Get it, okay. Philippians two four is the wonderful one for this one. It says look not, oh, excuse me, look not only for your interests. This is kind of how we need to be shot in that direction. Look not only for your own interests. Now, saying no to yourself or denying yourself something you like every day is a good way to kind of practice this one. Like say no to the french fries, or no to the dark chocolate, or no to the special coffee today. Just say no to yourself about something every day. How about, no, I won't push this news alarm. I just won't do it today. I'm going to pop up. That's my say no to myself thing, right? Say no to yourself on just one thing a day will help you not be so self-absorbed. You've now been disciplined. I did not push this news alarm. I did not have that coffee. I did not look at social media today. Whatever it is, say no to yourself one time a day. Number seven, love is not irritable. Not irritable. Oh, irritable. That is such a woman problem. I'm sorry, but it it definitely is. Um, This one is not easily upset or provoked. Not easily upset or provoked. Now, Moses is the perfect example here, Numbers 12. We read it in our DBR recently. Uh, The story of when his siblings come and they start complaining about him. Actually, they didn't like his wife, their sister-in-law. That's how it all started. Then they started saying, well, we're just as important as Moses is. We never hear Moses say a word, by the way. We never hear him get upset, but God hears and comes and defends him. You remember this? The only time we actually hear from Moses is when God disciplines his siblings and then he begs for mercy. Dude, what a guy. I mean, not irritated, not provoked. Wow. And Jesus, of course, is perfect at this. First Peter 2, 23 says, when Jesus was reviled, he did not revile in return. He suffered. He didn't threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. We have to fight irritability. I know we all blame it on hormones. Frankly, you have too many or you have not enough. And we all have the same problem. That's the key of irritability, is hormones. And we all blame it on that, but we have to fight it. I don't care if you got too much or too little, you got to fight. We're all in the same boat. Okay, 1 Corinthians 13.5 then goes on to say that number eight is he is not resentful. That means you do not keep track of wrongs done to you. This is actually an accounting term. And this is a long definition, sorry. Um, The accounting term is to write an entry in a ledger... So there's a permanent record. To write an entry into a ledger so there's a permanent record of a person's debt for future reference. Of a person's debt for future reference. I'll say it one more time. To write an entry into a ledger so there's a permanent record of a person's debt for future reference. Now, this is absolutely exactly what you have to do to run a business but it's absolutely not what you should ever do in a relationship, not with anybody. You don't keep track, okay? Um, resentment encourages you to keep great books and then read them over and over again. That is not loving. you got to let it go, ladies. You've got to let it go. We have to do what Romans 4.8 says instead. Romans 4, eight is what God says he does to our sins, and our wrongs that we've done against him. You know what Romans 4, 8 says? It says that we do not, he does not count our trespasses against us. Because love doesn't keep books. Doesn't stop it. Burn them, throw them away. Do whatever you have to do, incinerate them. Clara Barton, the lady who founded the Red Cross, someone asked her about criticism that she had received, and she said, oh, I forgot about that. And then they pressed her and they said, no, no, really, remember, this person came, they said this, and she goes, I distinctly remember forgetting that. (laughs) We want to be like Jesus and Clara Barton, okay? You need to be a forgetter. And then number nine, love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, Paul says. um, This one doesn't really have a definition, I'll just talk about it a little bit. You know, the world celebrates every single day things that God says are wrong, Every single day they do that. We can't join the bandwagon. We can't say that sin is good. It's just not. And we seem to sadly enjoy evil. We like watching it. We like talking about it. We even like sharing it with other people. It entertains us, which means we got to start cutting out the avenues through which this evil is brought into our lives that we celebrate. We got to get rid of things like social media, blogs, books, TV. Whatever exalts sin and makes you like it, get rid of it. Instead, our response to sin should be like, it was for Ezra the priest, my new grandson's namesake, Ezra the priest. This is what he did when God he found out that God's people had sinned. okay? It says that he tore his garment and his cloak, and he pulled hair from his head and his beard, and he sat appalled until the evening sacrifice. And then he rose from his fasting, and he fell upon his knees, and he spread out his hands to the Lord. You see, Ezra was brokenhearted when he found out that God's people had sinned. He didn't celebrate it. He was brokenhearted. He wasn't intrigued by it because he was offended by things that offend God. Next, Paul says, number 10, that love rejoices with the truth, rejoices with the truth. Again, no definition, but this is being glad when the gospel goes out, being glad when the kingdom of God is advanced. This is rejoicing over things when people get saved, when they fight sin, when they show agape, unconditional love for other people, when they win spiritual victories, Paul was so happy in his next letter about all the progress the Corinthians had made. He spent 1 Corinthians correcting a lot of stuff. And in 2 Corinthians, he's rejoicing that they listened the first time. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 7, 9, he says, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. That is the greatest thing to praise God for, when you see people turn. Be glad whenever your brothers and sisters in Christ make spiritual progress. Okay. Okay. Then Paul's focus becomes protecting our sisters, and number 11, 12, and 13 are all in the protecting realm. Number 11 is bears all things. Bears all things is the word stego, and it means to cover or build a roof over those we love. To cover or build a roof over those that we love. This is the image of taking a big giant blanket and throwing it over your sister's sin so that other people can't see it. Um, Now, that doesn't mean we don't deal with our sin. We deal with our sin privately. And we encourage them and hold them accountable, whatever we have to do. But we're going to do everything we can to keep them from being embarrassed, to keep others from finding out about what they might have done that we know isn't so great. We're going to protect them. 1 Peter 4.8 says it so well. It says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. They say that you can tell how much you love someone by how quick you are to cover their mistakes and their sins. Yeah, we do it at warp speed for our kids. We rush in so no one can know what they did. Sometimes we're not quite as careful and loving to our sisters, though. We need to be. Okay, we want them to have the least amount of embarrassment possible. Number 12, I'm going to put two together. Love believes all things and hopes all things. We're going to put them together as give the benefit of the doubt. Give the benefit of the doubt. Love believes all things and hopes all things. That means they give the benefit of the doubt. (sighs) If you love someone unconditionally, you're not going to be suspicious of them or critical or cynical. You're going to believe the best about them. It's the same word, believe, here, as we have for the gospel when we say they're supposed to trust. Now, you trust in your sister. And you have confidence in them. Unlike Job's friends, frankly. Think about Job's friends. They were terrible friends. They did not give Job the benefit of that at all, did they? The other part here is hope. And hope is to confidently anticipate or be sure of something. So when you put these two together, this is thinking the best of your sister. I mean, just, just think the best of her. Give her the benefit of the doubt. Now, Jesus, again, is such a great example. Think of how he loved Peter after the denial. I mean, he's personally been hurt by what Peter did, but he goes to him. He kindly makes him breakfast. He gets him off the bench and back into the game. And he's sure of what Peter is going to do for him. All of that is because he gave Peter the benefit of the doubt. Our church and our women's ministry needs people here that will give your sisters the benefit of the doubt. And think what's best of them. We need this. Let it start with you, that you'd be the one. And last, number 13, love endures. Love endures. This means that you suffer patiently and continue on. To suffer patiently and continue on. It is the word hubomene, which you know. It's that, you know, the donkey with all the stuff piled on him and that keeps going. It's actually a military term. It's a military term that says they're going to stand their ground and hold their position no matter what. This is the hanging in there. You're going to hang in there with your sister without complaint and without being unfaithful to her. The guy I love for this one is Stephen. Think about Stephen. He had an enduring love for the people that were standing around him so much so that he shared the gospel while they threw rocks at him. Imagine it. I mean, we just go, oh, yeah, he was stoned. Okay, imagine it. They threw rocks at him, hit his face, hit his head, hit his gut. He probably bent over, but he kept sharing the gospel. And then, and then he, he, they kept throwing him, and then he probably had to cower, get down on his knees maybe, and they were still throwing him and still throwing him, and he kept sharing the gospel. Then he's on the ground, and he's laying there, and he's, they're throwing at him, and still he's sharing the gospel because he loves the people there, and he wanted them to know Jesus Christ. He had an enduring love for them. And then he's laying there almost unconscious, and he's still saying, God, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing because he loved them. And because of his enduring love, someone important became a Christian that day. The Apostle Paul heard all of that and eventually becomes, okay, not that day, but eventually the seeds were planted that he became a Christian because of Stephen's enduring love. He hung in there because love stays. That's what this one is, love love stays. So 1 Corinthians gives us a complete picture of how Jesus loved and how we should love too. But I don't want you to be overwhelmed. You're looking at this going, what? There's 13. You said you were... Okay. I'd like you to circle one right now, one that you think you could work on now, but I want to give you some caveats for this. Do not pick the hardest one. I don't want you to be discouraged, okay? And do not pick the easiest one for you. This is not about coasting. You're here at Women's Retreat. Pick something in the middle. Circle it. You're going to use it in your quiet time today. But I want you to remember, every single one of these really is simple. And you're going, simple? What? No, okay. But if I said, I want you to go interact with this person and not be irritable, today, right now, could you do it? Absolutely. These are all doable, and they're all simple. Just do them one at a time. And you do one of them. You you do the the not resentful, you do it once, you do it twice, you do it three times. Wow. It might become a pattern in your life. Then you move on to enduring. You do it once with someone. You do it twice. You do it three times. Oh, uh, that might become up. All of these are doable. None of these are, you know, computer programming or knowing the latest, the latest tech stuff, which I am totally lame at. And none of it is hard. They're all doable. They're little tiny pieces of a puzzle that is the complete picture of love. I know that you can do this, I know that you can tackle one, and that every one of you can have success. By the end of the day, you could come up to me and say, I did it. I could have 350 of you saying, I did it, I did it, I did it, I did it. Because all of these are doable. You can do it. I know it. Now, it is simple, like I said. We just got to start doing it. We got to start asking God to give us the ability to do it. I want us to be like a couple of ladies I heard they were walking through the mall one day. Actually, one of them was walking and pushing her sister in a wheelchair. And, you know, they were, uh, <clears throat> they were doing their shopping. They were having their snacks. There were people watching. And at some point, the little old lady in the chair looks up at her sister and puts her hand on her sister, and she says, remember, when you get tired, let me know, and we'll switch. that's what this is. When you get tired, let your sister know so she can switch with you. That's what it is to love one another, ladies, and you can all do it. Let's pray that God will help us to do it today and moving forward. Let's pray. Dear God, I know that as we look at all these notes, it it does seem overwhelming, but first I just want to say thank you. Thank you that we're not alone as we look at all of this that we learned from your word. Thank you that these are the fruit of the Spirit, and for those of us in this room, even though we do it imperfectly, for those of us in this room that are saved, We know that you give us everything we need to actually love others like this. We've been given a new heart and we've been given your spirit and we can do what you command us to do here. And God, in a lot of ways, it is just as simple as saying to our sister, when you get tired, let me know and we'll switch. Most of the ways that we love will be like that. Of course, some will be more costly. Some will be bigger problems but actually my prayer is if we love in all these simple things that not as many women would get themselves snarled up in really horrible, bad things. If they had sisters around them switching off in the wheelchair, I think they'd be better off. I don't think that they would get themselves trapped in such horrible situations. God, I pray for these women here. All it takes is us picking one thing and doing it maybe for a couple days, and finding success in that one thing, and then daring to pick a second thing, and then doing that for a little while. I know, Lord, that you are pleased when we do what your word says, and your word tells us to love like you loved us. So I pray for my sisters here that they would love even today like you loved them. And we just want to thank you again that you loved us at all. And that you chose us to place your love on, not because we're special, not because we're so important, just because you chose to love us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.